0: Hi everyone, it's Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 10 of Yogaland. Today, my guest is Stephanie Snyder. Stephanie is an inspiring vinyasa teacher who teaches workshops and presents at festivals and conferences around the world. Stephanie also has an incredibly strong and devoted community of students in San Francisco. She spent years serving this community, and now she's creating a home base in her soon-to-be-open studio in San Francisco called Love Story. Isn't that a great name? So I talked to Steph about Love Story, how she came up with that great name, and also about the unexpected benefits of focusing on your local students. I think in this time of the traveling yoga teacher, it can seem so glamorous and we can forget just how important it is to commit to teaching and being there for your local students. Steph is also a mom, so I got to ask her questions about yoga and motherhood, and she's really gifted at incorporating philosophy into vinyasa classes in a in a really modern, relevant, down-to-earth way, which I think is difficult to do. So I really enjoyed interviewing Steph, and I know you'll enjoy what she has to share. Hello. (laughs) I'm so happy to have you here today. And we are face-to-face, which is so nice. I know. It's a treat. (laughs) It takes a podcast for us to actually be able to get together. Exactly. (laughs) Gosh, where to begin? I think I want to start with just such a basic question, but who have your influences been, like your, your teachers, your main teachers? There have been many,
1: actually. I'm so always like say I'm so grateful that I have and blessed, you know, that I actually have fallen into yoga rooms with incredibly generous and smart, caring teachers. And, you know, I really feel like I know I've done the work as a practitioner, but I owe them so much. So Dharma Mitra is one teacher who I've studied with for a long time. And he had a lot of influence over me earlier on in my teaching, and I still love him very much. And he was sort of, I came to Dharma at the point where I had been, you know, I started in Ashtanga, and then I got very interested in Iyengar yoga. As a practitioner and a teacher, even though I've always taught flow. And, you know, I went through that phase as a young teacher of wanting to know everything mm-hmm. <laughs> about the alignment mm-hmm. and, you know, all of the technical information. And I felt like I needed to have all the answers. And I had become a little OCD about that in a way to the point where it had become a distraction, I think, of, from what yoga was really about and why I first even lo- fell in love with it. So, you know, when I first saw Dharma, he became like my heart teacher you know he's the one that reminded me like you're not you know here to put your legs behind your head you're here for self-realization and to become free and to learn how to move away from your suffering and i just that you know and he's so committed to that message yeah. that um, he had a huge influence over me at just the right time, because I do value the technical information, but really the root for me has always been that more sort of, in a way, like Bhakti. I mean, he's really a Bhakti yogi, mm-hmm. a devotional aspect. So Dharma and uh, Ramanan Patel, also I have studied off and on with for many, many years, and he's an amazing Iyengar teacher. Also, a teacher who's extremely well-steeped in the philosophy, and I've learned a lot of philosophy from Ramanan. And also, T.S. Little, who has become a friend and a mentor and uh, a teacher. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he is just, you know, I respect T.S. so much because every time I see him, I can tell he's pushed the envelope of his own practice Mm -hmm. again, Mm -hmm. which, you know, he's been teaching for like maybe 40 years, I'm not sure. I really respect that. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't just sort of slipped into a groove. He's always kind of pushing the envelope. And that's very inspiring to me. So, yeah, yeah I mean, those are just a couple. <laughs>
0: Tia has, uh, T.S. did the anatomy portion of, of the teacher training I did over 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he just has such an awesome, inquisitive nature mm-hmm. and such an incredible sense of humor. And that combination is, and he's incredibly creative too, like mm-hmm. the way he does slideshows and things like that. So I'm so glad that you, you brought, explained a little bit about your connection to Dharma, because one of the things I see in you as a teacher is actually this incredible gift and ability to, to convey traditional teachings in like a really down-to-earth, accessible way in the midst of a flow class. And I think that's really hard. And um, so it sounds like that wasn't something that just immediately happened for you, but it did take a process and it did take, coming through different stages on your own. So how would you explain the process of finding your own voice or when you feel like you found your voice as a teacher, like your voice? Right. Did it take a long time? Did it, you know, you've been teaching for about? Like 50, almost, almost 20 years. Almost 20 years. Yeah. yeah. How did it happen? Well,
1: you know, I remember reading the Yoga Sutras for the first time. And I I can't remember the version I had, but it was very like, dry. Uh-huh. And, you know, I read it and it said ahimsa, nonviolence. And I thought, check, I'm not violent. You know, satya, tell the truth, check. I mean, it's really as deep as it got for me. And mm-hmm. most of it kind of went over my head. However, there was some like very attractive quality about the yoga sutras, about the Bhagavad Gita. And I kept at it and it didn't take very long. So, you know, in the beginning as a new teacher, I would take what I could from the philosophy and offer it. But I think what happened for me and the way that I offer philosophy now and the evolution has been, when I came into yoga, I was still not even sober yet. I was in a lot of like chaos, trauma, distress. And through the process of yoga, I was able to take not only the physical practice, which helped me a lot in the beginning, just reconnect with my body, but when I would hear bits of philosophy from a teacher or I would read something, it, it landed like it had weight and it felt true. Mm-hmm. And I thought like there's something here and it helped me. It really like helped me understand my own suffering. And I think the reason I'm so committed to offering philosophy in class is that I know how helpful it can be. Mm -hmm. And I know that everyone suffers in some way. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so, it's not easy always to practice the philosophy, but it's very simple. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's just like, I don't teach to people who live in ashrams. I teach to people with jobs, with addiction, with anger issues, with money problems, with, you know, health issues. I mean, that are struggling with like real life householder issues and I know because I've put it through the anvil of my own experience that this philosophy can help so I try to teach it to people the same way that I was you know have applied it to my own life basically yeah so I think that's that's part of it and yeah. I, I get great joy from sharing the philosophy it's my absolute favorite thing to do
0: yeah well it definitely really comes through I totally feel it and I mostly take your classes on yoga glow and I still right. feel it I'm not even That's like great. live in the room with you <laughs> yeah when you are putting a class together like where do you find inspiration when you're planning a class and incorporating the philosophy or do you just kind of do it on the fly do you just sort of read the room and see what's happening and or do you take, pull from your own life how do you how do you do that It's both. I contemplate some
1: philosophy every single day. That's part of my daily practice. Mm -hmm. So it's either Upanishad, Gita, Sutra, or some of the, you know, supportive books. Like Nikolai Bachman has Path of the Yoga Sutras, you know, that are more of a looser translation. So that's part of my daily practice. And I do that because it keeps me more sane. Oh neat. (laughs) It helps me just be like a more decent person. Yeah. So That's what I do every morning is I read something short, you know, like a bite size. And then I contemplate it throughout the day. And by the time I usually teach late afternoon, evening, by the time I'm ready to teach, like I have something to offer, I feel like, that I've really mulled over. Yeah. And at the same time, sometimes I sit down in front of the class and something completely different comes out. Mm -hmm. And so I have to kind of trust what feels right. You know, it's like... You know, I never want to construct some really eloquent thing to say and then, like, deliver it. It's not like that. You know, it's does this feel right and when it feels right, you know, and then I let it let it go. And if nothing, you know, feels amazing, I just teach the class, you know, and see what comes through. So that's kind of how I do it.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. You just let the yoga happen sometimes.
1: Yeah. 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 Whatever feels right. And I think, like, I've been doing this long enough to trust that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So... We're both moms and we've bonded a lot over that and you've yes. helped me so much in so many ways in that, in that respect. So um, you mentioned your personal practice. I'd love to know, you know how your practice has shifted as you've become a mom and what, what it involves on a day-to-day basis. Oh
1: my gosh, what <laughs> hasn't shifted since I've become a mom? <laughs> you know what, it's, my practice has become more important and less predictable. And I, I've learned to be okay with that. Before kids, I was very, like, a little OCD about my practice. You know, I mean, it was long, like, probably three hours a day. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm so envious. Every day, <laughs> you know, and chanting every day with my harmonium and the pranayama, the whole deal. And I get that sometimes still, you know, I'll have a day where I can really go for it. But uh, now, you know, the practice doesn't even happen every, uh, the same time every day. Mm-hmm. Like, during the school year, it happens at a certain time, and then during the summer, it's gotta be different. And that has been actually a gift for me because I can tend to become rigid Mm -hmm. around these things. And that's, you know, part of the lesson of the practice is to let go of that and to find some freedom and, and really like, you know, that three-hour practice every day, no matter what, that rigidity, it's like you're serving the practice instead of letting this practice serve you. And I've let the practice serve me as a mother because you know I take what I can get. Mm. When I can get it and when I get that those moments, it is so sweet. Mm-hmm. And I also don't expect as much from myself physically. I let the practice be more restorative and it's like self-care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my practice has changed a lot and, you know, my family knows that like I'm, I'm better for all of us when I do some yoga. Yeah. So, you know, my husband's very supportive of helping me carve time out and, and I feel really grateful uh, for that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, it's just, you got
0: to like let go and flow. Yeah. I've been thinking so much lately about this concept of flexibility, you know, and just I've been just laughing to myself like, oh, for so many years, I focused on physical flexibility and like, why can't I just be a little bit more flexible and get both legs behind my head? And Why can't I just be a little bit more flexible and do this? And it's like, right now, it is all about mental flexibility for me. Yeah. It's all about like, if I, you know, and I'm not always the parent I want to be, but if I am the parent that I want to be, it's because I am able to be mentally flexible in so many situations, mm-hmm. you know, and just, like, use the practice in that way. And it sounds like that's kind of some of what you've done I as well. totally,
1: completely and totally agree. And that's a gift of the practice itself, yeah, really. It's you know, that didn't just come to you. That came to you through years of practice. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. So we can be grateful for that. And the other, the other, I'd say, like, the main part of my practice now, the, the part I value the most is meditation and pranayama. Because for me... And it's different for everyone, but motherhood has been like an attack on my nervous system, mm. mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's lack of sleep, not always the greatest nutrition. You know, it's like I have a couple cheddar bunnies when I can, you know, because I'm running around so much. So, being able to restore my nervous system, yeah. Also, the stress of it, you know, yeah. it's like two kids running around, adrenal fatigue. You know, if you become depleted, it's very difficult to come back from that. So, the pranayama and the meditation has been probably the best for my actual like sustainability as a mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that flexibility, like there's no other way you can fight it or you can just go with it. Totally. So, yeah. Why waste your energy? Just exactly. Let
0: it yeah. I know. I mean, yeah, there are so many ways I actually want to write something about this. If I can get the brain cells gathered together <laughs> at some point soon, but there are so many ways I feel like that being a parent has like solidified my practice yeah. and brought out these like little things that were brewing that I learned that I didn't even know were there. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything that you can think about like that in ways that like parenting triggers you to practice like in the moment? Any anecdotes that you would be interested in sharing?
1: I mean, anecdotes, you know, I think there's two sides to that spectrum. One are like the really beautiful moments where, you know, I see my two boys, they're four and eight right now, cuddling or one of them comforting the other and I just like want to pause and like just be in that moment valuing the present is a gift of the practice okay so that's the one end of the spectrum the (laughs) other end is when there's a meltdown and we have epic meltdowns in my house sometimes and being loving and present and I have to say like I really do feel like the the practice has fortified me in moments where and you know that this is true you have to dig deeper than you ever thought you were capable like you have to go to places that are territory that is beyond comprehension as a mother and you do it Mm -hmm. and it's like superhero quality it's no joke and So, you know, moments where I want to lose it or where I just feel like I can't do this anymore, like Mm -hmm. whatever it is, whether it's like and yet you do Mm -hmm. and you do and you do and you do. And so, you know, I'd say on both ends of the spectrum, the practice has sort of given me that that strength.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's like continuously fortifying. Yeah. Right. Because like the well runs dry Mm -hmm. and then it's like, I actually think about that too. What would I do if I didn't have this practice or if I didn't have several years under my belt, at least of this practice to draw from, you know, where, what would I do? Because every time I get back on the mat, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm human. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm back Mm -hmm. to myself or I'm back to just connecting to everything around me. I'm back to just feeling... Fortified, and then it, you can go yeah. back into whatever you have to, to cope with.
1: Yeah, yeah. That daily reminder yeah. is you need that deposit in the bank for yep. when shit does hit the fan. Like, you gotta have that ready to, to yeah. withdraw.
0: And because parenting is just 24 7, like it mm-hmm. just, the shift never ends. Yeah. It's like you have to keep dropping yeah. into, you have to keep depositing yeah. because it's gonna, there's the withdrawals are gonna keep happening. Yeah. And and also,
1: you know, in terms of the practice supporting me as a teacher, like there are times when, you know, it's chaotic at home, like, you know, maybe someone's having a meltdown as I'm walking out the door or maybe someone's sick at home and I just have to leave to go teach there with my husband or whatever. And I really just want to get home back to them. And in some ways, those are the moments where, you know, you also sort of dig deep as a teacher. And even though my children are always my priority, you know, I can show up as a teacher and sort of draw that practice and that inner well too to be able to offer something. When you feel like, as a mom, you're you're giving everything that you've got, there's nothing left to give, and then you walk into a yoga room. Yeah, that's that's heavy. But here's the the gift of it: you walk into that room feeling like a little depleted, right? As emotionally, sometimes as a mom, you sort of start to run out of juice, and then you realize like. You get so much more out of that experience, and it's actually like the most beautiful thing. And you leave, you know, I'll leave the yoga room after teaching feeling so much better.
0: That's nice. Yeah, and that is like yeah, that's that's gold. That's awesome. That means you know you're doing the right thing in terms of your profession. Jason, has, yeah. Jason has said the same thing yeah. that like he always feels better after teaching. Always. What a gift. When he, yeah, that's amazing. And, you know, your students don't know that. I, I taught for a short time, part-time, um, a long time ago. And I remember just looking around the room and, be, and thinking to myself, like, they don't know how much I love them. Exactly. You know, I just... And, you know, it was a short time that I taught. I didn't know these people intimately, but I just looked at them. And in the process of watching people do yoga, it was just like, oh, I just love all of them. And yeah. it does give you a lot. Oh, yeah. I've definitely had moments where I just
1: look out at the room and tear up a little bit. Like, yeah. pri- to myself, you know, <laughs> I'm trying to fall apart in front of the room. But, yeah, it's very moving yeah. to see, especially when people are, like, sort of digging deep and you have that moment in class where everybody's together and in it together, and you feel that cohesiveness of the group is a very special thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I notice and that Jason notices a lot lately is When you start out as a teacher right now, I think yoga is so popular that people are really looking up to traveling teachers and thinking like, oh, what a glamorous life that is and aspiring to that. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think there's just so much room in the world for more yoga teachers. So that's what you want to do. Like, great, more power to you. But I also think it's important to, you know, just remind people of how wonderful and important and valuable it is to to be a devoted teacher who doesn't travel. And you actually dance both, you know, you you travel and you Mm -hmm. also have like a really great community of students here. And I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit about just the benefits that you get Mm -hmm. from having a community of students here. Mm -hmm. And if you really even knew that that would be the case when you started out. Oh, I never imagined ever.
1: I mean, I had three people in my, you know, first class. I had four the next like six months later. <laughs> you know, like, I literally taught yoga just because I could do nothing but yoga. I mean, that's where I was when I started teaching yoga. Mm-hmm. I, the, Nothing else had anything to do with it. But um, so, you know, whoever knew that it would turn into this. But first, you know, I want to acknowledge that we're really lucky here in San Francisco. We have a very robust community of yogis. Absolutely. And not all teachers have that. You know, there are a lot of, like, smaller towns where there's one studio and the classes are very small. That's more the norm. And so financially, I think a lot of teachers choose to travel because that's how they pay their rent. Mm -hmm. You know I think with technology, there's more options now, but you know we're lucky, so we have to first acknowledge that. I mean, right. I've taught all over the world, and I know for a fact like we have something special going on here. A lot of the bigger urban cities have these big communities, but most don't right. so you know it's growing, but so first, I'm very grateful to be in a city where I mean yoga's been in San Francisco forever Long you know time. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. and I also have to credit Dharma Mitra because as a younger teacher, you know, before I was traveling at all, he said something that really like struck me. And he said, no one has, a te- has teachers anymore. He said, because as soon as a teacher gets good, they hit the road. And I really felt that was true. And I thought, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to, to do that. Mm-hmm. And not that that's wrong, but I've always felt like, loyalty kind of Mm -hmm. to the students that show up day to day. You know, they're not coming for my like three hour handstand workshop. You know, they're coming for good old fashioned yoga. Mm -hmm. They're coming for a break in their day. They're coming to like, let go of some of the burden. They're coming to be supported. They're coming to, you know, for lots of reasons. But I felt like if they're going to show up, then I should too. Mm -hmm. Like I should be there. And I've always really felt like that. Then, you know, classes get bigger and you know, you're grateful for that, but you also feel like then there's, there's more accountability as well and gratitude. You know, I'm not, I'm not taking that for granted at all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do travel a little bit more this past year because I've sort of been in between studios and, you know, things have been sort of shifting a lot. But I, I've tried not to travel more than once a month. And partly that's because I have this beautiful community here that I'm very attached to and I want to be here for You know, so in terms of, like, growing a local community, you can't do that if you're never home. Right. So, you know, you kind of got to, you know, make a choice. And I I also have to say, for me personally, like, being on the road all the time was never, like, very glamorous to me. You know, I'm kind of an introverted person. I like to be home. I like to be home with my people. Yeah. So, you know, it also has come very naturally to me to want to, like, really, like, continue to grow the roots.
0: Yeah. Being an introvert, did you have to, when you started teaching, did you have to force yourself at all, um, you know, after class or before class? There wasn't actually social media when we started. Right. Yep. <laughs> but did you have to force yourself to, to connect with people and to create that community? Or did it just kind of develop naturally over the years?
1: It was totally natural. Yeah. Uh, and it's because, you know, cocktail parties give me an anxiety attack. Like, no, thank you. But if you want to talk to me about yoga... All day long. Uh No problem. So, you know, when it comes to teaching yoga, because to me, it feels like such service. And if someone wants to come up and ask me something before or after class, it's usually about yoga and they need help with something. uh, It's like, no problem. I love being able to do that. So um, it's more for me, you know, as an introvert, like chit chat, things like
0: that are very exhausting for
1: me. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Jason's exactly the same. Yeah. He's basically an introvert. He has a very small group of close people in his life, yet he's perfectly comfortable being Mm -hmm. in front of a group of, a big group of yoga students because he feels like they're already his people. Yeah. You know, he's just like, he's already there, you know. And it's not about me. It's about the yoga. Right. So that sort of neutralizes the situation right away. Right, right. That's actually good. So I did get, one of the reasons I want to ask that specifically is because I did get one question from someone um, in the community who wanted to talk about, like, being an introverted yoga teacher and struggling Mm -hmm. with that. And like, Mm -hmm. how do you, you know, her question was kind of, how do you find your voice like as an introvert and Mm -hmm. as a yoga teacher? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like one way is thinking of it less as being about you and more as being about the yoga or more as being of service.
1: That should always be the first, um, first step. So it's not about me. It's about the yoga and it's about how many people can I help right now? and if i have something that i can offer and by the way i don't you know take class hostage with my personal philosophy on life okay i'm very disciplined about that i keep it to the, to the sacred text i keep mm. it to the philosophy so if i have something to offer that can help people then i have to do that mm-hmm. you know that's mm-hmm. like a great privilege to be able to do that yeah. so i don't feel like teaching is putting myself out there at all i feel like it's just sharing it's like me offering a hand mm-hmm. that's it that's mm-hmm. really how it feels and mm-hmm. if, if that's actually happens for even one person in the room I'm elated but I got to give it a try yeah only because it's helped me so much right I mean I think that's where it all comes from yeah it's like the very deep healing
0: I've experienced yeah experiential like translates easily yeah. to communicating I figure there's got to be at least one of
1: me out there yeah who's absolutely. just dying you yeah know? totally yeah. Yeah. I
0: sang in a gospel choir I sang um with glide oh. years ago and I remember Anyway, this is so tangential, but I just I just remember the the choir director. We were having a rehearsal, and people were just there was like some infighting about some petty little thing, you know, just some silly like choir thing. I can't remember <laughs> what it was. And I just remember the um, sounds like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, <laughs> 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 but I remember the director getting up and like being very serious and saying, "Look, you know, there are people who come into this church on Sunday." who are contemplating suicide. Mm-hmm. There are people who are coming here because they need to be lifted up. They need this choir. They need us to be here. So let's focus on that instead right. of focusing on our, our petty little thing. And I just like, I never forgot that. Because actually the first time I went to that church, I went in and I just like sobbed the whole yeah. time. I can't remember what I was, I think it was a breakup. And I just, you know, I needed that. So yeah, yeah it definitely, like when you feel that yourself, it's easier to give. Yeah, the service neutralizes that, like neurosis. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about your new project. Mm. And I haven't really had it, you know, we're close friends, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you about this at all. Because I've been in a cave of creativity. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you are launching a new studio. Yes. In San Francisco. Yes. Which we're all so excited about. Thank you. And what's the name of the studio? The studio is called Love Story. Mm Mm-hmm. And where did that come from? That's beautiful. Thanks. Well,
1: you know, we were going through the naming process, which, by the way, is really hard. I can imagine. Like every amazing thing you think of, someone else has already thought of. Right. And we were sort of going back and forth, and I knew I wanted it to be very um, straightforward. And my partner asked me, he said, you know, what, well, what's the one thing you want people to feel when they, you know, walk in the studio, walk out of the studio? And like, without a pause, I said, Love. Period, love. Like, I want people to love themselves. I want them to love each other. I want them to love their life. I want them to love their limitations. I want them to love their gifts. I want them to love their whole story. And we thought, like, love story, you know, love story. And also because yoga has been like the greatest love story of my life. Yeah. And I believe it can be that for everyone. And so, you know, to me, love story says it all, Mm -hmm. you know, about not only personally how I feel about yoga, but what yoga has to offer. So on yeah. so many different levels. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you're going to have this beautiful, awesome space in your hometown that is your own. Yes. Are you excited? I'm so excited. <laughs> you know, and for all the reasons too, we were
1: talking about local community. Yeah. You know, I feel like, wow, like I've grown up with this community. You yeah. know, I have literally grown up. I owe them everything mm-hmm. as a teacher. And I want us to have a home, you know, that's permanent. Yeah. And that's just always there. So, you know, I, I feel like this is the time. yeah. And a lot of sort of different things came together. And I feel like it's a very sort of, you know, like the universe works in mysterious ways. And this is time for me to step into that new phase as a teacher and as a leader in the yoga community here. And I'm, I mean, like over the moon excited about it. Yeah. I just am so thrilled and so moved by the support. Yeah. And the excitement that um people have expressed has been really like truly heartwarming.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm so thrilled for you on a personal level and I'm totally thrilled for the community. And for myself, selfishly, because I'm going to be right down the street. Yeah, me. yeah. And for our family, because Jason's going to be teaching there too. I'm so happy Jason's going to yeah. be there.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, couldn't have it any other way. But you know, he's just a, as much of a pillar in this community, and you know, such a great, beautiful teacher. And I'm thrilled. I, I think mean, you guys
0: are really good. Ba- very great good compliments. compliments. Great compliment. really good compliments. Compliments. Yeah. 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 So I can't wait to till Sophia gets to the age where I can. Bring her to your class. Yeah. I I, re- I mean that like in all sincerity. Yeah. You know, Jason has um, a longtime student who has four kids and one of her younger kids loves yoga. And she said to him one day, can I, can I bring her to class? She was only five. And he said, sure. And in she walked in her little leotard and her little oh ballet God. skirt. I love it. And he said she sat down. You know, in Sukhasana or something. And he just gave her this little tiny wave, like everyone was singing, and she gave him this little tiny wave. And she did 90 minutes of yoga. Amazing. And she went several times, and he said, She's my favorite student. Yeah. Time. I love when people bring their kids. It's pretty amazing. The kids love the chanting. Oh, yeah. They
1: love to come and chant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So there'll be lots of that. Right? Lots
1: of chanting, chanting, music, flow, all, you know, the usual. Are so. you going to
0: do some, like, DJed events
1: as well. Oh yeah, we'll have DJs. We'll have live music. It'll be you know like business as usual, but times ten. Cool. Yeah, I'm super stoked, and I have that romantic idea too of my children growing up in a yoga studio. Yeah, you know, coming after school. We'll see how romantic it remains. We'll probably start (laughs) like throwing blocks at the walls, playing wall balls. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) But in my in my you know fantasy world,
0: actually, Baron, I when I've interviewed Baron Baptiste because you know he grew up. Right, of course. Situation. Yeah. And he said he would just run around the studio like a yeah. hooligan as a kid, but it rubbed yeah. off. Yeah, exactly. I know, so, I know. there you go. Yeah, high hopes. So, last question. One thing that, uh, you know, I like to talk to people about is, especially women, is um, mentoring other women. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to me that the generation, like, just ahead of you and mm-hmm. I of yoga teachers, many of them didn't have kids. Like, mm-hmm. um, I can rattle them off. Mati, Mm -hmm. Esrati, Patricia Sullivan, Patricia Walden, Angela Farmer, all Mm -hmm. of these women. And I haven't asked them about that. So I, you know, I would like to at some point, but to me, when I was like a very young spiritual seeker, I was kind of like, I didn't feel like I had a role model in that generation as Mm -hmm. much. So as a mom and Mm -hmm. as a yoga teacher and as a householder you know, how important do you feel it is to like mentor younger women and younger spiritual seekers? And do people seek that out in you?
1: Yes, people seek that out. Uh, I And I make myself available for that. And it's really important to me. I, you know, I, I feel like the wild west of yoga is so big now with the t- technology and travel teaching and a studio in every corner. And that a lot of the younger teachers are sort of struggling to find their path, to find their voice, to not get swallowed up by social media or mm. compromise who they are because mm. they think they should post this way or that way. and. I feel like I'm just sort of ahead of that enough that I've been able to see it with some discrimination. I mean, put it this way, I'm kind of a little bit of an old lady at this point. So, (laughs) um, so, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to mentor and I keep it to a handful so that it's manageable and so that I can really, you know, be there with integrity. I wish I had had more mentoring as a young teacher. I really flailed a lot. You know, I sort of just made it up as I went along, which worked out, but I think there's the you know the yoga community is so much bigger now than when I was a baby teacher that it the onus is on us. I think it's important to mentor other younger teachers and that's part of service as a teacher and walking the walk so
0: mm-hmm. you know that's something i really I really enjoy too mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it is it's so gratifying, yeah you know i I will just say I feel similarly i i don't think that it was as conscious um when we were coming up as teachers mm-hmm. to to continue on and have. You know, mentors um, support you, and everyone I've interviewed for the podcast has talked about how important it is to do that for the next generation. So I mm. think it's it's pretty great. You, Very cool. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's something that you're all noticing is necessary, which I think. And also that the younger generation is
1: also reaching out for that. Right. Like, that's also skillful of them. Yes. <laughs> so I, you know, appreciate that in them also. It takes guts too. Yeah,
0: it's earnest. I like it. Yeah. All right hun love you love you too thank you so 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 much thank you <laughs> Hey everyone, just a few final thoughts before I sign off. You can find show notes for this episode, which will include links to Stephanie's new studio website, her personal website and schedule, and photos of her at yogolandpodcast.com/slash episode 10. You can also practice with Steph either through her DVD, Yoga for Strength and Toning, or online at yogaglow.com. She teaches regular classes there as well. Be sure to stay in in touch and follow me on twitter at yogaland podcast and until next time take care